Hello and welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy podcast. You can watch videos and listen to other podcast episodes by visiting www.ianabernethy.com. So, without further ado, here's Ian Abernethy. Hello everyone, I'm Ian Abernethy and welcome to the latest edition of the ianabernethy.com podcast. A uh, quick apology to regular listeners, I'm aware it's been a little while since the, the last one and the reasons for that is I've just been really busy with uh, other projects but all good stuff. Uh, um, been out to Las Vegas to teach at uh, Chuck Norris's uh, UFAF International Training Conference which was uh, a real experience and really great fun. Uh, I've also been very, very busy uh, getting the World Combat Association up and running. So for a long time now, uh, people will be aware that I've felt there's a need for an organisation that focuses uh, 100% on martial artists like us, the kind of pragmatic martial artists, that'll help people develop pragmatic syllabuses, it'll give them the recognition they need, which will help promote uh, people who are out there doing good things that maybe just can't get heard above the noise. So um, myself, uh, Peter Constein, Jeff Thompson's obviously involved as well, have, have now set up that uh, organisation. And if you were to go to worldcombatassociation.com, you can see we've got the website set up there. We've already had members from all over the place join. Uh, we've had uh, syllabus approval, so that once the syllabuses have been approved, any grade issued against them will be recognised by the WCA. Um, the requirements are all up there. We've uh, got a start on, we're going to produce some exclusive uh, media for it as well, so... We've got some uh, online videos that we're going to be putting up and some uh, articles, e-books, um, even some exclusive World Combat Association podcasts as well. So uh, plenty of good information coming forward. So if you're interested in that, you know, just go and have a look and um, check that out. So and again, on a personal level, I've had on my travels, you know, I've traveled overseas a lot and lots of people wanting to kind of know what my you know can we join your group and who are you affiliated to and all this kind of stuff well my group is the world combat association um that that's the way it is now I, i'm the uh, the international chief instructor for that group so those that are wanting to um, get involved with what i do on a more kind of uh, i suppose intimate would be the right word on you know rather than through the books and dvds but develop a, a more one-on-one uh, -on -one kind of relationship with me and to develop what they do along the lines of what I do. If you're interested in that, then uh, um, be sure to check that out because it might be what your uh, your group's in need of. And obviously, any questions, I can be uh, be contacted about that. Um, so yeah, it's been a very busy time while I get that run in, but very very important. And I'm pleased to say we're off to a very good start. Uh, the great thing was, as soon as we launched the website, it crashed. As soon as I told people, okay, visit the website now, it crashed. It instantly, the bandwidth closed it. Um, and we had that happen a couple of times until we managed to kind of get the site <laughs> stable. So that was a good sign, and we've had um, a great response. So, so yeah, check that out, and the, uh, more information coming from, from there. Okay, so uh, that's where I've been for the last uh, little months or two, just getting that up and running, but a very positive development, and one I'm sure that many of you will want to support. Um, I also, just one thing I'd just like to quickly say is just thanks f again for the continued understanding with regards to my email situation. Uh, a few podcasts ago, I, I wrote that I just couldn't keep up with the amount of mail I was receiving. I was literally spending hours a day on it and still not getting them done. Uh, so I, I understand, you know, that people, if they like what I do, that they, they want to kind of contact me directly and discuss it with me. But it's really hard to kind of keep up on top of all the, the emails and stuff, which is why I like to keep a presence on my forum and Facebook and Twitter so we can still kind of communicate. But 
do it in a more, hopefully, a more um, efficient way. Because people have been very respectful of that, and the number of emails has dropped markedly, which is great. Because it allows me to, you know, freeze up my time. I don't feel bad feeling that anyone's getting ignored, and I can spend time producing uh, material and content that everybody's going to benefit from. You know, so I can put more videos up on the website. I can get things like the World Combat Association up and running. I've got a few video projects uh, coming off for you as well. So, I, you know, I really appreciate everyone's understanding with that. And if we had a fifty-hour day, believe me, I'd answer everybody's emails. But I just we haven't got that. So I appreciate everyone's understanding in. Uh, cut me a bit of slack and um, give me a bit of space on that because you know it, it it really does does help. And again, there's plenty of ways to keep in touch, of course, as well. Um, aside from um, the email thing, so thanks to everyone for that. It, it has helped, and I really do appreciate your your understanding of, of how busy I am. So, okay, so anyway, back to this month's podcast. So this month uh, we're going to discuss Funakoshi's twenty precepts. So uh, these to me are very interesting and, and important that. Uh, Karateka, well, all martial artists really. I think you can benefit from having a look at these, uh, looking at some of the ideas that Funakoshi um, expressed, and seeing how they may or may not relate to your own training. So, what I did for this podcast, I got the 20 precepts out and discussed them all one by one, just completely unscripted and just off the, the top of my head. But it, do, the do, it does allow me to discuss quite a few issues. So, within the podcast, we cover quite a few topics which are Again, I hope you find of uh, of of interest. And again, the whole point of this is it's not designed to be a definitive guide to them. It's just hopefully to give you some food for thought and give you my own personal take on these uh, these twenty precepts. So yeah, I'll stop talking and let you get into the the main meat of this month's podcast, which is on uh, Gichin Funakoshi's uh, twenty precepts. In this podcast, we're going to look at uh, Gichin Funakoshi's uh, 20 precepts of, of Karate-Do. I mean, they're, they're widely available. Most Shotokan dojos that I've been in, I'll have a copy of those on the, the wall in, at some point. It's quite a few different uh, translations of those as well. Uh, what I think is really useful as well, because they are effectively 20 one-liners, it's easy to kind of misread them or misunderstand the intent. Well, in uh, 1938, there was a book produced called uh, Karate Do Taikan, which translates you know, as an outline of, of karate, uh, which was compiled by uh, Genwa Nakasone. And, and in that, uh, Nakasone gave um, uh, an expansion, if you like, or um, to show the intent of each of these 20 precepts. Uh, and that uh, was endorsed by Funakoshi himself. And there's a few various translations available. Of this, but uh, one of the, the better ones, I think, of the um, of the twenty precepts there are anyway. Um, but the the Karate Do Taikan was recently uh, translated by uh, Mario McKenna, which you can get that off uh, Lulu dot com. Um, now, as someone who spent a great deal of money for a Japanese language version, it was <laughs> kind of nice to find that there was an English uh, translation there as well. So th that's what um, I would recommend for you to look at these yourselves. And again, this isn't intended to be the definitive explanation of them. It's just you know me going through the 20 precepts and then bringing up some thoughts and some discussion points from that. So the first precept we've got is that never forget that karate begins and ends with courtesy. And obviously, there's the symbolism of that that people often relate to in kata. We start with a bow, we end with a bow. You know, so this idea of beginning and ending with with courtesy. Now, in Nakasone's explanations of that, he says uh, fighting techniques without courtesy is not a martial art. It is only violence and brutality. 
and um, it also says in the martial arts you know you must begin and end with courtesy uh, this means that uh, if you train in the martial arts without a respectful mind you'll be violent and depraved just like a beast that's why you should never forget that martial arts begin and end with courtesy so um so okay so fair enough you know we understand that you know when we're teaching a fighting skill there has to be uh, a dimension that makes sure that fighting skill is used uh, productively um, now I always I think one of the best explanations for this is uh, D Dave Grossman and Lauren Christensen uh, wrote an article which you can find on my uh, my website uh, called on sheep sheep dog and wolves and it basically it's a great article but it basically said this, this you know when it comes to violence you can basically put people into these three categories you can say that on the one hand there are um, sheep. Uh, sheep dog or wolves so a, a sheep is someone with no capacity for violence none whatsoever that doesn't mean that the bad people and any negative connotations associated with you know sheep has been unthinking herd animals is not intended in this it's just saying they have no capacity for violence okay a sheep has no capacity for violence you have a wolf which does have capacity for violence and it often uses it to its own advantages to attack the sheep or at least in the purposes of this analogy and then you have the sheepdog which has a capacity for violence but it uses that to protect the sheep and to keep the wolves away so we as martial artists what we want to be is is the, the sheepdogs we have a capacity for violence but we also have an understanding of our wider obligations to those around us so when Nakasone explains what courtesy means it means courtesy is showing a sense of respect to others and oneself so I, I quite like that so we're saying that we must have respect for others and we must have respect for ourselves so we have respect for others by that we don't use our um, skills that we develop to harm others but to help others and also we have respect for ourselves which you know gives us a sense of self so therefore we have a right to protect ourselves from those who would do us us harm as, as well and obviously who would do others harm so i think that first one's kind of self-explanatory that um karate door begins and ends with courtesy and obviously a very important point and a nice one to be to begin with uh, the second precept that we have is uh, karate do does not take the initiative or karate ni sentenashi which is they're often translated as there is there's no first attack in karate and i mean i've done podcasts on that very subject before and i've written on it at length as well because there's a misunderstanding around that that people think it's a tactical instruction as opposed to a moral instruction so it Funakoshi, Nakasone and others who wrote on this such as Mabuni and, and uh, Motobu at no point did they say you must let the uh, you know the enemy attack first we're, we're not telling you know women that are about to be raped and people that are about to be assaulted that they have to let the attacker get the first strike in it's just it's ridiculous you know um, that's not what it means what, what, what it means is that you are not the architect of the violence you're not the cause of that situation and that you'll do everything you can to avoid that situation but when that situation can't be avoided then you should attack first you should hit first um in uh, gichin funakoshi's karate do kyohan he, he says that he says that, you know it's very unfortunate if you need to have to use self-defense techniques he says but even at times like these don't show any intention of attacking but first let the attacker become careless and in that moment attack them and in the moment of surprise escape and seek shelter and help so this idea of you know hitting the enemy on their preparation to attack which again is one of the three types of combat initiative is perfectly legitimate and it's totally in line with what you know modern day teachers of self-protection will teach so let, let's have a look at what nakasone how he expands on this as well but just to be, be clear there's not i can't find anything where one of the old masters had said you must let the enemy throw the first punch 
they've never said that in fact the, there are you know the, they say it's you know it's important to seize that initiative and in Nakasone's explanation of this which Funakoshi endorsed you can see that here as well so if I just read this this little bit to you, he said, Some people do not understand the meaning of the precept that karate does not take the initiative. Instead, they say things like, you should always take the initiative and attack first in the martial arts. Now, so this me interjecting here, but at that point, it seems like he's saying, don't hit first. But if, if, if you read on, it says, uh, I think they do not understand the meaning of the character Boo. Uh, you know, as in like Budo or Bushido, you know. So Boo is comprised of two um, characters, um, one meaning spear and one meaning to stop. Therefore, Boo means to stop conflict. Similarly, the character uh, Endure, we see the characters for mind and sword. Uh, therefore, you, if you cannot control yourselves in times of crisis, you will easily draw your sword. Okay, so but this is the important bit, you know. So I'll quote uh, Nakasone again. He said, These examples show us what true martial arts are about. However, in the rare instance you must fight, you should always take the initiative, as this is only logical. So I'll just repeat that again. So they explain you know, that in karate, we mustn't attack first. But then he goes on to say, however, in the rare instance when you must fight, you should always take the initiative, as this is only logical. So what this, again, it, it, it's very clear that it is a, a ethical instruction. Uh, it's telling us to make sure that we never cause conflict. We do everything we can to avoid it. We learn to kind of, you know, calm people down, to de-escalate situations, to avoid dangerous situations. But if we can't do any of that, and, you know, we find ourselves, as they say, it will be a rare instance where we've no option but to use physical techniques, then we should take the initiative um, by, by striking first. And if you want more on that, then obviously just visit the website because it's, it's a topic we've discussed, uh, uh, discussed in length. So that's the, uh, the second precept. The uh, third precept is Karate Do cultivates justice. So again, we'll jump straight into uh, Nakasone's expansion of those to get an idea. So what is, is justice? He says justice is doing the right thing. So Karate is about giving us uh, the moral fortitude, if you like, the, the, the mental strength uh, to do the right thing. So he goes on, he says, uh, uh, when human beings believe in justice, they become their strongest. If one can find justice in his heart, he can go on and fight an enemy of 10 million. Uh, this is an, an expression that describes a man's strength when he believes strongly in justice. Therefore, if you find the right thing, you will, do nothing, uh, you will not do anything in cowardice. You will have a secure mind and a powerful spirit. Karate Do is an unarmed martial art because your hands and your feet can be used like swords. You, you should not use Karate Do for injustice or outrageous behaviour. You should be in a position of justice and use karate do only in emergency situations, then its power will be seen. So again, you know, it ties on nicely with the other three, and there is a logic through all of these. So, so it, it's a matter of, of knowing when uh, we need to do the right thing and not shirking away from that. I, I always like the, you know, the saying that all that's needed for evil to succeed is for good men to do nothing. So it, it, it's, it, it's about knowing, I think, that the, the, the moral side of karate, if you like, is knowing what the right thing is. Uh, and then being prepared to stand up and the courage that we develop in the dojo will hopefully spill out outside the dojo as well so that we become people who are useful to to, to those um, around us because we will stand up for ourselves uh, and for others when we know what the right thing is we won't uh, see injustice and because we'll do that we can grow draw great strength from it um, so I, I, just as a little aside, I always liked uh, uh, Kano, the founder of Judo. He talked about three levels of Judo. 
and I, I think you can obviously expand this to three levels of martial art generally but um, he said so the lower level is judo as an effective martial art the second level is using judo to develop a mind and body and the third level is using those attributes that you developed in the help of your fellow man and society at large so through learning to kind of physically fight we, we do develop a stronger mind and a stronger body it's, it's a stressful thing is learning to fight and when we put ourselves through that we develop uh, attributes uh, which will be the second level is, is noticing the, the value of those attributes and, and noticing that they have value in and of themselves not just as a means to facilitate combative skill but then now having done them but we need to kind of then use that to contribute and that's kind of higher level and the reason i like this is it, it to me that nicely ties up the jitsu and the do and you don't have this thing where people regard them as being separate so you you are either um, a jitsu guy which means you're a violent lunatic in some people's eyes or you're a do guy which means you're some kind of like deranged hippie who has no idea of combative skill but practices the martial arts as a um, almost like a spiritual pursuit but in they should be linked they should be linked and this is what we've got in this through our study of karate we develop a stronger mind and then obviously hopefully we develop a sense of justice so we can use the attributes we developed in the dojo to help those uh, outside uh, the dojo the fourth uh, precept is just lifted straight out of uh, Sun Tzu's The Art of War and he says uh, first of all know yourself before you try to understand others and then Nakasone's expansion of that he said Sun Tzu wrote in the third chapter of The Art of War if you know yourself and know your enemy you will not be defeated in 100 battles if you don't, do not know your enemy and know yourself you'll be victorious in half your battles if you do not know yourself and your enemy you will surely know defeat and he goes on to say this expression has been well known by martial artists for centuries which I'm sure that's true and I'm sure most of those listening to this will have heard those as well you see so I mean that kind of just makes uh, perfect sense that you know that it's important to understand your, your enemy and to understand yourself as well and there's Nakasone says you must realize your strengths and weaknesses don't flatten flatter yourself um, <laughs> so that, that's it it's just been about honest about our uh, own attributes and then obviously understanding our uh, our enemy's attributes so in some cases I mean that's really obvious if you were competing in the martial arts and you knew who you were going to compete against then you would analyze them you would look at them you would look at what their strengths and weaknesses are and design your game plan uh, accordingly now obviously self-defense wise you can't know exactly who your enemy is but you can know uh, about them through studying th their type in the same way if you went into battle you wouldn't understand every single soldier but you might understand you know the, the way that army would generally operate so within that, I think as an expansion of that, self-defense-wise, we need to understand crime, the nature of crime, how criminals operate. Um, and we see this, I think that's one of the major problems in, in modern martial arts, is people don't find out. They, they teach self-defense and assume that they're, um, the enemy in self-defense, the criminal element, will behave like uh, one of their own kind will in the dojo and it's just not that's just not the way it works there's, there's, you, there's a whole kind of other elements that you need to consider and understand so yeah okay re research what we're training for basically know what your attributes are and know what you're uh, the kind of enemy that you're going to face and then as Sun Tzu and Funakoshi says then you're in the best possible position to uh, ensure your own victory the uh, fifth precept is spirit before technique now, something I make a, a big point of in my own teaching is that mindset is more important than anything. 
Uh, I remember doing a course with uh, Dennis Martin, a, a, uh, one of the British Combat Association seminars, uh, years and years ago. Um, and Dennis is phenomenal. If you've never had the opportunity to train with him, you should really seek that out. It's great. Really, really good seminar. One of the best I've done. And as part of this, he, he showed a, a little pyramid. Uh, and the idea being that the things on the bottom of the pyramid were more important than the things further up it. You know, so obviously you can't develop the things further up unless the base is sorted out. Um, and as I recall, this, this pyramid at the bottom, it had mindset, uh, then strategy, then tactics, then techniques, and then finally equipment at the, the very top. Um, so he was given the examples, you know, that some people like get a new piece of kit, you know, like they'll issue to the police, you know, a new kind of baton or something, but without understanding of the techniques of it, the tactics of it, the strategy of it, and most important of all, the mindset, it'll be effectively useless. So for me, I encourage um, spirit before technique, not instead of, you know, you need good quality te technique as well, but mindset is vitally important. So when my students are hitting the pads, I want to see the right mindset. When they're doing the keon, I want to see that. When they're doing kata, I want to see them do that. So we constantly emphasize this in our teaching that the mindset has to be there at, um, uh, at all times. Um, because without that, you know, the whole pyramid falls apart. You know, so the, the spirit side of it, um, your intent, your, your will is, is vital, very, very important. Uh, so, I mean, I th again, I think most listening to that would, would take that as as given, and uh, I'm, I'm sure that's that, that's the case. But it is obviously very, very important, and I'm sure we all know of people in the training who don't do that. Uh, it's either technically precise with no with no spirit, with no fire in the belly, or it's just devoid of, of, of combative spirit. And the way to develop that, of course, it's the develop the spirit is the technique, the um, the training. Sorry, needs to be demanding it needs to be difficult uh, and because it's difficult you'll develop the correct uh, the correct spirit i think it's always one good indication of if you're training in the right place or not is if you enjoy the training when it's over but don't enjoy it during <laughs> um and certainly that's uh, the case for a lot of the people that i've trained with i haven't enjoyed the training i've enjoyed how i felt about myself when i've completed uh, the training so yeah, so spirit before technique. And of course, it's not just fighting spirit as well. It infers your overall kind of attitude and mindset, you know. And in this, they tell a, sto a story of a, um, in Nakasone's explanations of a, uh, a samurai, um, who, a great swordsman, who one of his students had walked past the back of a horse, startled this horse, and this guy had kind of, you know, swiftly kind of dodged out the way and uh, as the horse kicked and everyone was like, whoa, you know, that was amazing. And they tell the, the teacher of this guy, you know, it was incredible what your student did. And he says, oh, I'm really disappointed in him. I, I, I thought more of him than that. So obviously a few days later, they're looking to see, you know, well, wow, it looked impressive to us. How would the master have done it any different? And they're looking down the street one day and, you know, this master comes walking towards the horse. So everybody stops to see how when this horse kicks out, what the master will do. And the master, of course, just walks across the other side of the street and completely avoids the horse. <laughs> So, um, again, it's another illustration that your mindset is more important than physical technique. And that comes in terms of both combat and, obviously, in uh, avoiding combat uh, as well. The uh, sixth precept is respond with an unfettered mind. So, again, just to look at some of the explanations of that that Nakasone gives, he says, uh, If you hang on to conscious thought, you are unable to move freely and spontaneously. It then goes on a little while later to say, to say therefore, uh, do not let your mind be infected with thoughts of things. Um, so 
again, I think most experienced martial artists will understand this, that your, your uh, thoughts can get in the way of your performance. So, for example, if you take sparring, the instant you start thinking things like, uh, I am doing badly, I am doing well, I'm in pain, this is feeling good, you're concentrating on something else other than the job in hand, and, and, and therefore it, it obviously causes uh, difficulties. Uh, in NLP or neuro linguistic programming, they have this uh, this which I don't know a great deal about, but I, I do know of this little concept which I, I quite like, where they say the, the four levels of learning, and it's a bit of a tongue twister, so so bear with me. But the, the lowest level is unconscious incompetence, the next level up is conscious incompetence, the next one up is conscious competence, and the highest level is unconscious competence. Okay, so if we look at the, the lower one first, that's uh, unconscious incompetence, which basically means um, I don't know whether I'm good at this or not because I've never done it. So you, you don't know that you're bad at something because you've never done it. The next level up is, of course, as soon as you try it, you'll become conscious of the fact that you're incompetent. You go, oh, I can't do this. And I mean, I laughingly joke to my own students about this. Is If they're struggling with something when they're just learning it, it's like, well congratulations you're on level two that's progress you know you know you can't do it uh, the next level up from that of course is conscious competence which means we can do it but we have to think about it a lot so when we're doing that we're never quite in the moment our time will be off we'll always be a kind of second or two too late or a nanosecond or so too late and the final highest level is unconscious competence we can just do it and we don't need to think about it uh, and I, I think that's true of anything that you, you do well it's like they're learning to drive the first time you learn to drive you're very conscious of the mechanics of it and everything else but when you've been driving for a while you just drive you just don't even think about it and that's obviously what Funakoshi's um, encouraging us to do here is to to reach that 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 level um this may help or not but in my own teaching i i kind of divide what we call practice and doing so if i want my student to practice a technique say they've got a certain error on it or there's a certain point I want to emphasize they will really think about that technique they will think about well where's my hips where's my timing where's the motion so they're thinking about it a lot so that's practicing it and then I'll go okay now I want you to do it which means I don't want you to practice it now we've done that I want you to do it so I don't want you to think about it I just want you to do um, so we often use that as a phrase you can see this sometimes when we're doing various pad drills or sparring drills or something like that You'll see the student has too much conscious thought and I'll often say to them okay what you're doing here is you're practicing it you're not doing it so I think that's kind of uh, a useful distinction that I find anyway so that's what we want to try and get the unfettered mind uh, the mind that, that that is there in the moment and isn't latching onto um, things on the uh, the periphery the seventh one uh, seventh precept is carelessness leads to disaster so I think that's pretty self-explanatory that one um, obviously that if we are careless in our actions uh, both in life in general or in uh, particularly in, obviously in the martial art as well then it will lead to, to disaster so we need to be purposeful in what we do and uh, make sure that we're acting with uh, intent and with with care so I think that one's that one's quite um, straightforward and the eighth precept is do not believe that karate do training is restricted only to the dojo and he goes on to say the purpose of karate do training is to discipline the mind and body. Um, and you should obviously uh, never forget to, uh, this. Um, it also it, it goes on to advise us that if we eat and drink excessively outside the dojo, then obviously it will collect uh, karate training. 
Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's perfectly true. You know, karate should be part of our wider lives, obviously to ensure uh, maximum performance inside the dojo. That's obvious. So if I, if I train hard, then go outside and smoke a pack of cigarettes and drink a few beers, it's not going to help my performance. So as Funakoshi quite rightly points out, you know, that our karate training is just not restricted only to the dojo, that uh, we need to lead uh, wholesome lives kind of outside of it as well in order to obviously improve our performance inside the dojo. And you just can't separate the two. If you're not careful about what you eat and drink, it's obviously going to have a negative effect on your uh, performance. So the ninth uh, precept, he said that, that karate door training is for life. So what he's saying about there is that um, it's an endless path and it's something that we can do for um, for the, the rest of our days. And I, I truly believe that. It's one of the great things I, I like about karate and I think that's why it as a martial art has kind of grabbed my attention. Now, uh, for me, just as a little aside, we often have discussions about what's the most effective martial art and... Um, my answer to that is it's one that's going to get your attention it's one you're going to enjoy practicing because they can all be effective if, if they're trained right but the, the key thing is you need to be training it day in day out week in week out for years and years and years to achieve like high level of efficiency so it needs to be something that you really enjoy now i've studied a few different martial arts all of which i've enjoyed but there's something about karate that kind of really gets me it, it, it really appeals to me uh, which is why I can keep kind of going back to the dojo time and time again and, you know, training outside the dojo as well, of course, because it, I, I enjoy it that much. And, and because I enjoy it, it's like, uh, I, I liken it to like a good TV series or a good book, a good film. If you're watching like a um, a great TV series, I'll give an example, like I really like the TV series Dexter, really like it. Uh, um, I don't have satellite television, so I, I buy the videos when they come out on the box sets. You know, and invariably I watch the whole series over a couple of days. But so I've just finished watching the last one, and my initial thing is, oh, right, okay, it's over now, and you know that ended really well, and I want to know what happens next, and I'm I'm kind of disappointed that I haven't got more of it to watch. And I, I think it's the same with the karate. I'd hate to reach a point where I think, oh, it's over now. You know, I, I, there's, there's there's nothing. For me to continue, I've reached the end of this book or, or whatever. Uh, I want to feel like it goes on forever because I enjoy it that much, and that's just the same thing about um, uh, karate. I think you know it's, it's a lifelong path. So here's you know in Nagasone's explanations of it, he just one of the things he's quoting um, uh, Yagu, and he says, uh, "I don't know how to defeat others. I only know how to defeat myself. This means that you become better than you were yesterday, better than you are today." Uh, better day by day throughout your entire life there's no end to training and then nagasoni takes over he says when you enter the endless path of karate do you endeavor to become better than yesterday better than today and to improve throughout your whole life this is a true aim for those who train in karate do so that's the point karate is not just something we do for a few years or like some pursuits we reach a point where we're you know too old or whatever we won't give it up we'll maybe ch shift the way we train as a guy in my 40s, I don't train the way I did in my 20s, but I still train hard and I still train productively. And uh, I agree with Funakoshi completely that um, karate is, is for life. So the 10th precept, one I, what I really like, he said, um, so this is the, the precept, when you learn how karate do is related to everything, you will just have discovered its essence. I, I, I like that. So... Um, Let's look at Nagasone's explanation. And I'll read it in full because it's only brief, but I think it's a really good piece. He said, uh, When you understand that one strike of the foot or hand determines life or death, 
then you will be able to come able to overcome any obstacle you face. You may feel that you do not know how to face such obstacles, but it is that precisely at that moment that your mental and physical training in karate do will reveal themselves. It is then that you will see the indescribable beauty of karate do. So again, I really like that, and and I'm sure there'll be lots listening to this that can relate to that. And I know I've had discussions about this uh, with others. So through the intensity of our training, we do, as we related to earlier, we do develop mental and physical um, attributes. And we may not be aware that they're there. Um, it's when life gets difficult that we suddenly realise that, wow, these things uh, I've developed uh, keep me going. And I know that's true of me, that the tenacity and that kind of uh, never-say-die attitude that karate has developed in me has got me through tough times, does get me through tough times. And I know that plenty of people, uh, martial arts I've talked to, have, have, have said um, the same. So this is what he says. He says, when you have discovered how karate do is related to everything, you've discovered its essence. So it's not just like a set of fighting skills that's divorced from the rest of our lives. It becomes part of who we are. It develops attributes that um, entirely change the way that we live our lives and the way that we uh, view the world. Um, through the hardship of training, we learn to develop the, the hardship of, of, of life. And uh, I found that in the dojo, there's been points where you just realise there's a part of you that if you tap into it, it won't die. It just won't quit. There's, there's a point where you reach, you give everything, um, but you still find something in you to kind of just pick you up and keep on going. And in life, I've had that happen too. You know, I've been literally and figuratively on my knees and then you just bounce off this thing that I've also found in the dojo, that core of myself that just won't be defeated, it just won't be beaten. So what you experience in the dojo you find outside of in everyday life as well. So I, I like that one, I, I think that's true. I think that karate does have benefits uh, outside of, 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 of the dojo, which are in many ways um, more important than the physical skills. I live a life where I don't have to punch people in the face every day of my life. You know, I'm not defending myself every single day. But I've got obstacles and difficulties that I need to deal with every single day. So the, those attributes of karate have developed in me are more useful in that sense on a day-to-day -day basis than the, uh, the physical skill. I don't think that dissolves us of the need to skip the jitsu, if you like, and, and move straight to the, the dough side of it. I think the two are interrelated, as I've said. Um... But, but again, I, I really like that one. So anyway, moving on. The 11th precept, karate dough is like hot water. If you do not keep it heated, it will become cold. So again, I, I like that one too, because I think that's, that's true. It, we all know this. Those who've been training in martial arts for a long time, to, to keep good at it, you need to be training consistently. So it's like hot water. If you, don't, if you turn the heat off, it'll become cold. You, you need to keep the heat on. You need to be training uh, consistently, um, even if it's just a little bit every day, you know, just you you, just, you need to be training um, on a consistent basis, and it's then that you start to see uh, the benefits. And I think that's one of the things about the modern world is that people want things faster and faster. If you look at more or less everything you see advertised on the television or in magazines, it's all about how quickly it'll work. You know, um, uh, you know, this broadband speed will be faster than anything you've had. Uh, um, we. We'll, you know, you'll see results in X amount of time. It's, it's all about speed. But those of us who have studied the martial arts for you know, a long time, in my case, the best part of 30-odd years, I know it's consistency that, that's, that's developed it. I haven't developed skill quickly. I've just kept training consistently over a very long period of time. 
It's also true of my weight training. I I, I am a strong guy, you know, and I, I'm quite a big guy. Um, so I see lots of people who, men, especially young guys, who want to kind of emulate that and develop that. Uh, but they want it in two weeks. They want to be able to kind of lift weights and suddenly be big, big strong guys. I, I've lifted weights consistently since I was 16 years old. So what, what, 25 years of weightlifting to get to where I've got. And it's concentrating on the process, just doing it day after day after day. And when you do that, the product will take care of itself. If you concentrate on the product and want it you know, now, 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 it just it doesn't work that way. You, you, uh, you get distracted. Of course, there's that famous story about that as well, which I'll just quickly recant. The story about the um, the guy who he goes to a martial arts teacher, sword teacher, and says, uh, I want to be the, the most feared uh, swordsman in the whole of Japan. So how long will it take me to train? And the guy kind of pauses and thinks and says, it'll probably take you training with me about 10 years. And he goes, wow, 10 years is a long time, you know. So I'll tell you what, I'll train twice as hard as everybody else. How about then? And then the master replies, 20 years and confused the student or prospective student says look I, I'll only stop to sleep and eat you know uh, what about then he went 30 years he says look I don't understand here every time I'm telling you how hard I'll train you're telling me it'll take longer to get better and he says yeah because every time you tell me how hard you're going to train you're fixating more and more on where you want to be and not the process of getting there so I kind of like that st um, that one of course it's a, my mental strength book has a chapter on that you know um, called uh, process over product you know concentrate on just day after day and I agree with Funakoshi completely karate is like hot water if we don't keep keep it heated it will uh, uh, will become become cold so uh, the next one then the 12th precept is rather than thinking about winning think about not losing now I, I like that actually I, I must admit when I first saw that one many years ago I thought that was negative and poor and pointless to me if, if I was going to send someone into to battle or into a competition or something like that I'd be telling them look win this win this you can win this I wouldn't be telling them look just don't lose don't mess it up because it's just it's very negative but 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 I I, I like this because when you look at it in its greater context if you're talking about the, the self-defense side of things it's not about winning it's about not losing so if, if I found myself in a situation that could potentially be violent I don't need to win that situation. I don't need to knock everybody out. What I need to do is not lose. So if I was to turn away and run, well, I haven't won that fight, but I haven't lost it either. So to me, it's it's sound advice. You know, it's don't don't think about winning, but think about but uh, not losing. And Nakasone says, when you think of only winning, you will become uh, naturally ag agitated and will easily lose your sense of modesty. As a result, you will cause trouble at every turn and make many enemies. So again, that that's the point. It's it's we don't need to win every situation we find ourselves in. Self-defense-wise, the important thing is that we don't lose it. So we win these situations by avoiding them. So again, I I I like that one um, that one a lot. Yeah, on the thirteenth precept, it says change your tactics according to your opponent's movements. Well, again, I think that's that's quite obvious. You can't win with the same things over and over and over again. You, you need to be uh, aware of what's required to win. You need to be adaptable and, and, and flexible. And then hopefully training will uh, will develop that. And for me, that that's about not fixating on technique, but learning principle. Uh, principles of movement and, and kind of tactical principles are uh, infinite. They can be applied to any situation, whereas technique's always very specific. 
And when we look at kata, that's important that people understand that, that kata is not a, a collection of techniques. It's a collection of techniques to uh, develop uh, principle, to develop an understanding of principle. Uh, we talked about this in the Occam's Razor podcast, but I think sometimes people use that as a cop-out. They'll say, oh, yeah, the kata, I can't really apply the kata, but it's all about the principles. Well, that's nonsense. You can't get applicable principles out of non-applicable techniques. The techniques of the kata should be functional, should be applied directly. But through doing that, we can say, well, why does this work? And you'll find that there's common principles that are at play in every technique that works. And when you understand those principles, you can fight in accordance with them. And it's not an intellectual understanding we want, it's an intuitive one, one that it's, it's hardwired into us. Uh, they're like habits. We, we design these habits of movement. Um, tactical habits so we, we intuitively know what to do in various situ in, in situations and then we can uh, can vary and adapt so that's the 13th precept, precept change your tactics according to your opponent's movements uh, the 14th principle is closely related which is uh, Nakasone chooses to explain both the 13th and 14th together but the 14th precept is the outcome of any fight depends on dominating both protected and unprotected areas um, and then during his explanation, Nakasone uses that, the, the water analogy. How water always, um, it adapts to the terrain that it's in. It, it, it becomes what is around it. So um, if it's flowing down a hill and it, it, it comes across soft things, it'll erode them. If it comes against hard things, it'll avoid them. If it comes across hard ground, it'll flow over it quickly. Soft ground, it'll sink into it and seep through. But it always reaches its destination. It always reaches the bottom of the hill. Water never gets halfway around a hill and then turns around and goes back. It'll always get there eventually. If it's blocked, it'll stop and build up force and build up force. It spills over the top or knocks it out of the way. So, again, it's the same kind of thing, is that we make sure that we're flexible. We're like, uh, we're like water and that we um, uh, become what we need to do to win the, uh, the situation in, um, in hand. And as is typical of these as well, is Nakasone relates it to everyday life as well. So he, he quotes the proverbs, um, uh, when in Rome do as the Romans, and he also says about suit your speech to the audience. So he, he says, he goes, therefore precepts 13 and 14 are significant lessons for our general life as well as for the battlefield. So, um, yeah, probably discussed those ones enough. The uh, 15th precept, think of your hands and feet as swords. So uh, in Nakasone's explanation, again, which Funakoshi endorsed, he reminds us that uh, our hands and feet as trained martial artists have power. He also says that those who are untrained, their hands and feet have power as well. So what he's trying to get across to us here is that combat is serious. It's very, very serious. If, if I, with my, as a karateka, then, you know, if I think of my hands and feet as sword, I don't want to use them to harm others unnecessarily. Uh, and I also need to be aware of that, you know, the hands and feet of others can harm me, seriously. You know, uh, conflict, uh, self-defense is, isn't a joke. You know, there can be very, very serious consequences of it. And this is what he's trying to, to get across to us. And he says, you know, you should not take pride in showing off your skill. Therefore, you should regard the hands and feet of everyone as swords in times of crisis, whether they are trained in martial arts or not. You should be moderate in your speech and behaviour, and in times of crisis you should not make light of your enemy's ability, but should protect yourself and maintain vigilance. So, again, it's in the one a reminder about the severity and seriousness of, uh, of conflict, which is important. And then, you know, when we find ourselves in conflict, we know that we had no other choice. It wasn't a decision that we made lightly. So whether we end up 
you know, hopefully harming them or getting harmed. We run that risk. You know, there's consequences either way in self-defense. If you harm your enemy, there's consequences. If you don't, if they harm you, there's consequences. Um, so think of your hands and feet and your enemy's hands and feet as swords. It's something to be avoided at uh, um, at all costs. So the 16th precept is, where, is, is when you go out, it is best to act as if you had a million enemies waiting for you. So again, this is the one about awareness and, and vigilance. Um, and I think that's, again, really uh, important. It's not They're not encouraging paranoia here, because this is something that I think is important. We always need to make sure that whatever protective measures we take, that they are appropriate to the threat. So if you were to say, um, oh, I saw on TV that there was a, a murder um, 50 miles away, so I'm not leaving my house, that would seem to be an extreme response, you know. And you see some martial artists who do this, who are always armed to the teeth and wear stab vests and Kelvar baseball caps and people who are just, you know, properly paranoid. Fact is, we live in a society that's far less violent than our ancestors faced. Um, in the, the UK, as a male who's over, you know, his mid-twenties, who doesn't frequent bars, the chances of me being involved in a violent situation are minimal. You know, so um, that doesn't mean that I should be careless or blasé, but, I, you know, I just have a healthy awareness. And I use those terms in my own teaching. I say that self-defense, it's not about physical technique. It's about uh, having uh, awareness and a healthy attitude to personal safety. So it, ne it needs to be healthy. Paranoia is not healthy. And being blasé about the risks aren't healthy either. So someone who goes to knowingly dangerous areas and gets drunk out of the mines, that's, that's, that's dangerous. Someone who won't leave the house, you know, that's not healthy either. So we, we need to kind of uh, reflect the, uh, the balance on that. And realise that awareness, is, it's a key thing as well. In, in martial arts, when martial artists teach self-defence, this is the thing they frequently get wrong, because they fixate on the physical. And they'll go, uh, okay, it's important to be aware of your surroundings. Now let me show you how to get out of a headlock. <laughs> well, it's aware of what? What do I need to be aware of? How do I be aware? What are the things I should be looking for? What are the, the danger signs? When spotting those signs, what am I supposed to do? But as martial artists, we tend to fixate too much on the physical. Uh, in Nakasone's uh, explanation as well, he's not just looking at the things that could harm us in terms of self-defense, if you like, but also he talks about awareness with traffic and everything else. Lots of things out there that could be potentially harmful if we're not aware of them. And there's a nice, nice saying again, which I'll just quote this one, where he tells a story, uh, there's Nakasone, about uh, Itosu, the guy who created the, uh, the Pinan Hiyan series. And he said, uh, the famous karate do master, Anko Itosu, lived for a long time and died at the age of 85. He always used to worship at the family altar before he went out. He says, one day I asked him directly, why are you praying? He answered, it is by the grace of God that an old man like myself can go out and not be kicked by a horse or run over by a carriage and return home safely. So I pray to God and ask him to let me finish the day's business and return safely. Uh, this time I was full of useful vigour and I wondered uh, what he was talking about. What he, what, what he had said to me struck me as odd. However, I realise now that what he said had a profound meaning. I recounted this story to Kenwa Mabuni, who sincerely appreciated hearing it. I reflected on the expression, a man crosses the threshold of his home and meets a million enemies, and realised that it is indeed something that a true master of the martial arts always remembers. And it's quite a nice tale there as well, so... Um, awareness. You can't separate physical technique from awareness, and the uh, 16th precept is a, a reminder of that. Uh, the 17th precept, uh, we did an entire podcast on this one, those will remember, called um, My Stance on Stances. But the sixth, 17th precept is, 
fixed postures are for beginners and as you advance use natural postures um, so I think that one's massively misunderstood generally so people say oh yeah stances are for beginners but when we get higher up the grades we don't use stances well well if that was the case why bother to learn stances what why spend time developing something that you'll never use and when you read uh, Nakasone's explanations it becomes far more clear what he's, he's referring to so to quickly kind of recap the subject of the stance on stances podcast if I was to tell a beginner to drop their body weight forwards, they wouldn't know what to do because the movement of body weight is a feeling. If I say to a higher grade, shift your body weight to the left, pull you down, drive your body weight through your enemy, they understand that because they know what their body weight is and they know how to move in order to move their body weight correctly. It's a feeling that they, uh, that they understand. Now, the beginner doesn't have that. So if I was to say to him, move your body weight forwards and down, they'll look at me blankly but if I was to say look I want you to move your body weight forwards and down so push hard with your right leg and step long with your left leg get your right leg as straight as you can and get your left leg nice and bent okay now practice moving into that position that stance that posture do you get that so that that thing we'll call it front stance but what you're really practicing there is moving body weight forwards and down so and it's the same for every stance you've got it's 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 it's, it's fixed postures that enable you to learn uh, how to shift your weight. It's not that the stance is important, it's the body motion to get into the stance that's important. So that through the practice of stances, we're learning to move our weight correctly, which eventually will become intuitive. So the stances of the beginner become the natural postures of the, um, the senior student. They won't fixate on them, they won't lock on them, they'll just move. They'll move the weight in the way that needs to be moved, uh, depending on the, the, the circumstances. So, uh, so that's the idea, that the stances are there to kind of teach us um, to learn to move weight, weight correctly. And there's that great line from Nakasone, which I absolutely love. He said, um, karate has many stances, it also has none. Which is fantastic, because it depends how you define them. If you freeze frame a movement, then it's a stance. But if you flow through it, then the stance is both there and not there so karate does have many stances it um it also has uh, it also has none so um yeah again if you want more on that then obviously check out the my stance on um on on on, on stances podcast uh, and the 18th precept you know always perform cutter exactly combat is another matter uh, generally again completely misunderstood this one where people think that what he's saying is, okay, cut is one thing, combat something else. So therefore, in some people's eyes, he's saying you can discount kata because it's got no bearing to actual conflict. It's not that. It, it, what it's, it's telling us is that um, in kata, we always perform it exactly. So what we want to do is be precise. We want our movements to be very, very exact. And whatever datum you use, whatever style you do, doesn't really matter. Your style, your group, your association, club, whatever, will have a precise way of performing those kata. And it's important that you perform them as, as close to that way as you physically possibly can because then you're developing finite movement uh, and body awareness. You, if you want your little toe somewhere, you know exactly where it's going to be. As I say to my own students, if you can't control your own body, your enemy's going to have an easy time controlling your body. So you, you need to learn uh, this, this level of precision, of, of movement. So always perform kata exactly. Uh, but combat is another matter. You don't perform it exactly in combat. You flow. You adapt and vary according to the circumstances.
So, as Nakasone says, you know, you must move freely according to your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. Do not be shackled by the rituals of kata, but instead move freely according to your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. Um, and, and that's what we want to be doing. So those that aren't familiar with my four-stage approach to kata, I'll very quickly go over it now. But So stage one is the solo form. Stage two is that um, we learn the applications. Stage three is that we identify the underlying principles so that we can adapt and vary. And stage four is that we gain live experience of doing it. All of those stages are part of the mix at every single point in your training. You don't forget about stage one when you reach stage two. The, and the, they can be running parallel in learning as well. Um, but the, the, the point is on stage three, we understand the principles of the movement so that we can vary and adapt. And that's what this precept is reminding us of that we need to move freely. I make jokes about it at seminars, you know. So let's say I went to do an arm bar that's in a cutter and the guy's head didn't drop as far as I want. I would want. I still know where his head is because I've got hold of his wrist and his forearm. I can feel his elbow. I can feel exactly where the head is. In the cutter, the, the cutter shows a punch that is opposite my own solar plexus, say. Uh, but in application, the enemy's head's higher than that, so I should hit the enemy's head. What I should not do is aim to miss and then think, yes, but at least I was true to the cutter. Do not be shackled by the rituals of kata, but instead move freely according to your opponent's strengths and weaknesses. And that's what the 18th precept's all about. Okay, so always perform kata exactly. Combat is uh, is another matter. Uh, the 19th precept uh, is do not forget the strength and weaknesses of power, the stretching and contraction of the muscles, and the proper execution of technique. Now, the first line of Nakasone's explanation of the 19th relates to the 18th as well. He says... No matter if you're performing the kata or engaged in actual fight, the principles of kata never change. So th that's that's true. The, the, the don't. The principles are the same. So I, I give the example sometimes of like if I take a block of ice um, at below freezing point, it's always the same. As soon as you kind of add heat to it, it will adapt to the environment that it's in. But it's still made of the same stuff. It's still water, just in a different state. So kata is the combative principles frozen. Okay, that, that's them at low temperature. You add heat to it; it's still the same stuff. It just changes to a, to match its uh, environment. So, anyway, we'll read we'll read on. So he says, uh, when you perform the kata, do not forget the strength of weaknesses of power, the stretching and contracting of the muscles of the body, and the proper execution of technique. If you fail to do this, the kata will be meaningless. Also, remember this precept as you train in kata and kumite. Similarly, in actual fighting, the strength and weaknesses of power, the stretching and contracting of the muscles of the body, the proper execution of technique, and the regulation of the breath are all vitally important. Um, must be careful to keep these in mind. So, self-explanatory, I think. You know, we, we need to be uh, mindful when we're practicing kata of times when we should be uh, muscles should be contracted and time when they should be stretched. Um, T times when we make ourselves big, times when we make ourselves small, times when we move quick, times when we move a little bit slower. It, it, it's all about that, that kind of contrast and being variable. And through the kata performance, we learn to do all of this. We, we become really in tune with our body. And when we fight, we can obviously apply those same concepts and principles in actual uh, in conflict. So the 20th and final precept is always think and reflect on your training. I think that's very important. We know we should be trained in a mindful way, not a mindless way. And we need to be, um, not obviously, as we've said before, when you, there's a difference between practicing and doing. But when you're practicing or after training, we need to be thinking about, you know, what went well, what didn't go well, what, what have I learned through that. Shouldn't just kind of 
you know, turn up at the dojo, do what you're told, and go home and never think. Because you don't improve with that. If you're sparring before you start, you want to be thinking, what are my objectives in this? You know, when you finish, what went well, what went badly? You know, you're always constantly seeking, you're seeking to improve. But to do that, you need an honest perception of where your kind of strengths and weaknesses lie. So again, to quote Nakasone's expansion of Funakoshi's precept, he said, uh, remember to always be conscious of training both your technique and your mind. And he goes on, Mita Masashi wrote in the preface to the Book of the Five Rings that I fought for the first time when I was 13 years old. When I was 21, I travelled to the capital where I met some famous swordsmen and travelled them to duels. I won them all. After that, I travelled across Japan and challenged various swordsmen of different schools. Uh, in total, I had more than 60 duels by the time I was 20, uh, 29 years old, and I won all of them. When I was over 30, I thought about those years and realised I won not because uh, uh, I progressed good strategy. Perhaps it was because I excelled in this field with the, uh, the grace of natural law. Perhaps it was due to the inferiority of the other schools of swordsmanship. I reflected on this point and trained endlessly every day to find the reason. Finally, when I was 50 years old, I was spiritually awakened to the truth of real strategy. And then, so Nakasone goes on, he said, Even Masashi, who was a martial arts genius, needed constant training and reflection until he was 50 to be spiritually awakened to the truth of the st truth of strategy. A little while later he goes on, he goes, From these stories we can understand that you should not be full of conceit and should never be satisfied with your martial arts after only four or five years of training. If you think this way, it will be in error and you have insulted uh, your own discipline. That is why you must continuously admonish yourself to always reflect on your training. Self-conceit and laziness are like chains which entwine your feet even as you want to improve yourself. Be careful of these iron chains and do not fall into the, the rift of failure. Exercise self-distraint, reflect, contrive uh, and enter the final stages of Karate Do. These things must be the mental attitudes found in the discipline of Karate Do. So um, we don't think train mindlessly. We, we think about what we're doing. And again, you see this. Unfortunately, this is, you know, the old masters had a really good handle on what we should be doing. But again, most will know that people don't do that. They don't reflect on the training. They just do it a lot of the time without really thinking, is this serving the purpose? Yeah, the amount of people who believe that marching up and down the room uh, for you know, 50 minutes a session and doing some one-step sparring, then some competition-style um, sparring will prepare them for the violence of real situations. It just won't. Because, but they need to stop and think and, 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 and see, you know, is this achieving the objectives? No matter what your objectives happen to be, you know, it may be that you're learning culturally or you're learning for sport or self-defense or whatever, but you need to be stopping and thinking and reflecting on it. Um, it's, it's not just enough to, to mindlessly go through these things and expect to, uh, to improve. It just doesn't work that way. Uh, so, I mean, hopefully, I mean, the great thing about Funakoshi's 20 precepts is, you know, it gives you things to think about. It gives us things to reflect about on our own training, to measure our own training uh, against. Um, and you, you, well, you, I was to say you, you could. People have written full books on these twenty precepts. Um, so you know, I would encourage you to you know ratch them out and explore them more and think about them and what they mean to to you. You know, take everyone's opinion on them and, and see which ones make most sense to you and apply critical thought to to it. And again, decide you know how they can help your, your your training if you decide that they're relevant at all even you may decide that they're not so anyway i hope this uh, uh quick discussion has been uh, useful to you and maybe hopefully give you something uh, to think about as i said at the start this isn't designed to be the definitive guide to them it's just me 
reading them out to you and, and giving you some of my thoughts on them and, and I hope in doing so I've encouraged you to uh, to explore them a bit more for uh, for yourself Well, I hope you in, uh, enjoyed that. Uh, now, last podcast, obviously there's been a bit of a gap between the last one and this one, but you'll remember we did a, uh, a competition uh, related to my Cumbrian accent and local dialect. So um, I asked you what a number of words meant uh, when expressed in the local dialect, and we got quite a good response, actually. Quite, quite a few people joined in with this, uh, this bit of fun. Uh, so the first one was, you know, uh, what does uh, as a bad fettle? What does that mean? And that was uh, meant I'm not well. Okay, if someone says as a bad fettle, it means they're unwell. Um, as gan yam is I am going home. As gan yam, I am going home. Um, ass about fias uh, is ass about face, which means back to front. Uh, as been doot beck uh, is beck been a local word for stream, so it means I've, I've been down to the river or I've been to the stream. I then uh, uh, one to five, yan tan tether a mether a pip. Okay, that's one to five in uh, Cumbrian. Um, I think that was them all. Yeah, that was them all. So they were the five things. Uh, the winners that we had were uh, uh, soon to be announced. So to ensure it was totally fair, what I did was I got my uh, children to uh, to draw the uh, we printed off all the winning emails, and my children. Uh, um, drew out the winners so um, I'll hand you over to uh, to me and my kids alright so we're going to choose the, the winner now for the uh, the Cumbrian dialect quiz and I've got my three helpers here I've got my three children with me so they're going to choose the uh, the winners so we'll just let them introduce themselves one by one so this is my daughter Jenna say hello Jenna hello <laughs> uh, say hello David hello and Reese, where have you gone could you say hello as well hi <laughs> right so what we've got is we've got all the sheets there and I'll hold them out and I'll let my children choose one out so these are all the correct answers we've got them written down on a piece of paper so Let's go first. Who wants to choose the first one? Oh, okay, then so Reese put his hand up first. So yeah. that, that right, so go on then Reese, you choose one of those at random. We're gonna have three three winners we decided, that each child will choose one. Up, up, up. Okay, fella, open that one up and see what we've got. Can you read that? <laughs> so Reese has picked the winner of a Peregrine Day. So you've got all those right, so I'll drop uh, Peregrine an email. Uh, Jenna, would you like to choose a winner? Dad, I, I, this is a really important. I've just lost, lost my earring. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right, j- 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 Jenna's just lost her earring. We'll find that in a minute. The joys of live wow. broadcasting. Go on then. Yeah. Are you going to open that one up? Eddie J. Go on, say it. Read it out. Mine is Eddie J. Eddie J. Ah, I got it mixed up. Got Eddie T. Yeah. Eddie so well done, Eddie. You know, it's Tay, Eddie Tay, yeah? And then, David, if you choose the last one. Okay, so the final winner. Yeah, is um, Mike Barkus. Mike Barkus. Mike Barkus, yay. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay, kids, say, say goodbye to the podcasters. Goodbye. Bye, bye, bye. Au revoir. Do you mean the uh, listeners? Uh, yeah. Au revoir, uh, à bientôt. <laughs> but, <laughs> I like my French. <laughs>
Well, thank you to my three little helpers there. Um, in case you were worrying, by the way, we did find Jenna's earring. Um, the kids had just got out of the bath, so it, it, it came out. It was found in the bath, so... Um, yeah, great, aren't they, eh? So my three little helpers did that. So I've emailed all um, three winners who you know, kind of choose a set of three DVDs or something apiece, so um, they've already sorted out. So thanks to everyone who kind of uh, played a part as well, so um, I really appreciate that, and it was good fun. Uh, okay, so um, thanks once again for listening in. I'll be back with uh, another one uh, sooner than the, the extended gap uh, <laughs> between the last one and this one, But so thanks for, for staying with me. Say it more or less every podcast we do but it's completely true i really do enjoy putting the podcast together uh, it's one of my favorite things to do uh, the feedback from them is always really good so um uh, thanks very much for all your support and for uh, for, for sticking with them and uh, plenty more podcasts uh, to come so um, thanks to everyone who listens in and everyone who spread the word on them uh, really really appreciate it okay so that's uh, enough from me i think i'll be back uh, shortly and uh, yeah have a good month i'll see you next month Yeah, take care now. Bye-bye.